There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello. You're listening to BFN. This is the podcast about infertility, IVF, and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Gabby. And I'm Emma. And we're both card carrying members of the Infertility Club. jumper are we doing that thing where we refuse to put the heating on yes yeah i'm refusing we've like our limit in our house is october although i did put it on for half an hour this morning oh did you spicy yeah. because it was so cold yeah i thought I about just... doing it just so i could wash to so dry some clothes yeah drying clothes <laughs> is a real issue at this time of year it really um, is yeah i've got like a, a little electric fan heater which i might i might implement extra jumpers yeah, extra jumpers are good. In my office, there is a bed, and I have just literally been sitting in the bed <laughs> doing my work. Oh, mate, that's not good. That's not good for productivity, is it? No, but it's very comfy. Oh, maybe I should do that. I also have a bed next to me where I work. Yeah, just get right in. Here. It's so warm. And also, oh. because it's a single bed with a double duvet, it's the duvet's like folded in half, and it's just toasty. Wow, well. There we go, guys. That's your winter tip. Keeping warm this winter if you work from home. Just get into bed. Yeah. Um, I've just written a really hard-hitting article from the bed. (laughs) The bed has sausage dogs on it. And you were like, as I sit here writing very important economic information from my bed chamber. (laughs) Exactly. With the sausage dogs. With the Um, sausage dogs. Yeah, so what are we doing today, Gabs? Well, I, I hate to say that we're, amongst other things, bringing this series to a close. We are. It's sad. I'm yeah, sad. Are you sad? I am sad. Yeah, I am sad. This is the yeah. last episode, guys. Um, but it's been a good series, hasn't it? it I think it's been a, a corker. We started with Emma Barnett. We did. Who, um, who's just had some interesting news, if you were interested yeah. to know... How she's getting on. Yeah, look on the eye, paper. Um, 
And we've just had some great guests all the way through, haven't we? We have had some great guests and we're finishing on another great guest. On a, a corker. Absolute corker. Who is it, Emma? Um, it's Izzy Judd, <gasps> um, who was one of the very first kind of celebrities to talk about infertility. Um I think she's like, I really think she's a bit of a trailblazer, to be honest. So if you haven't heard of her, unlikely, I would say, but um, she is married to Harry Judd, who was in McFly. People of our age might remember. Is in McFly. Is in McFly. Yeah. Um, He came in halfway through the recording and I did have to stop myself from saying, has he been to the year 3000? (laughs) I didn't say that. Um, and yeah, I just like, she was, as I say, a real trailblazer in that she talked about her infertility. She wrote about it. She did a podcast about it, um, called let's all talk fertility. Yeah. Her book is called dare to dream. Yeah. So she wrote a book about it and, um, and it was just really great to talk to her because I think she's probably a bit like us, like a bit of an oversharer. Yes. Yeah. I think Mm. she is. Cause there's, there's multiple layers to her sharing now, you know, many years on um she's definitely she wears her battle scars on her sleeve yeah. mixed metaphors <laughs> yeah, mixed metaphor, but I really enjoyed it I enjoyed um, it too <laughs> yeah she does and right, she's basically like us isn't she, she she's very like us so it's been long overdue to have a chat with her and so we are delighted to chat to her to bring these series to a close yeah absolutely um and then also we're talking to professor Tim aren't we Gabs we definitely are. And he's answering the question, are there certain types of endometriosis that don't impact implantation or is it all a cause for concern? Yes. Uh, there's a bit of a self-serving question there, Emma, maybe? Yeah. Was that my question? I can't remember. I think, I think it was it someone else's. I think it was yours. Was it my question? <laughs> I think it's yours, but it was a good one. It was a good one. Yeah. It was a good one. It's a good job that I had access to the answer, like at the beginning of the series. Yes, um, but yeah, I think it. I think it is an in, important question for um for everyone. Definitely. Um. Yeah. Someone very close to me has just been diagnosed with endometriosis and is having a major freak out about this kind of thing. So really, um, gosh, good, good one to go over. Yes, definitely. Um. Other other notices. Um. We recently appeared on the Emma Guns podcast. <gasps> how could I have forgotten about talking about that? Mm, I don't know how you did. Um. Yeah. God, that was fun, wasn't it? It was loads of fun. Um, I really like Emma. Yeah, she's my, great. She's my second favourite Emma. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I assume I'm the first. Yes, yes, you are. Yeah, I'm not like third. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, she's and she's just, oh, it was a really good interview, wasn't it? I just really like, sometimes we do interviews and um, they're kind of, they feel a bit like disconnected and that's probably because we're in weird moods. But that one just really... Like I felt really able to share. Yeah, it had a nice flow. And it's good to speak to her. It's interesting because she has um, no interest in in f- creating family and yeah. fertility. And she, you know, she doesn't want children. So it did create, it did make for an interesting kind of dynamic, I think. Yeah, felt we, like we were lecturing her, basically. and this is this um but yeah that was that's out this week so um as soon as you listen to this if you haven't already listened to emma guns go and listen to that too yeah 
Um, and at the end of the podcast, we're talking again, and um, you probably don't need to worry about trigger warnings in the same way that you have recently. Yes. Um, yeah. Though we will be talking about embryo disposal, I guess. So. Yes, but yeah. um, but yeah, no yeah. pregnancy trigger warnings. Yes. Um. So please enjoy Izzy, and in the meantime. If you would like to contact us, you can Instagram us. At Big Fat Negative. You can Twitter us. At Big Fat Negative. You can email us. Big Fat Negative Podcast at gmail.com. Um, you, we would love it if you would rate and review the podcast. Yes, absolutely. And we'd also love it if you bought our book, if you haven't Please. already. It's rather yeah. good. Yes, and available at all good bookshops. Indeed, including my local one in Ramsgate, which is very exciting. Oh, that is very exciting. Um, in the meantime, please enjoy this. Firstly, Izzy, have you had an okay day? I have had an okay day. <laughs> um, actually, do you know what? We went. Um, we live on the route of the um, royal. Um, procession. Oh, wow. um, I actually took the kids and Harry and I, we went up to watch. Um, very, it was really moving, actually. Really moving. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, so we did that today. Oh, well, that looked, that's, that looked amazing. Like, I watched the entire thing. I just, as I was just saying, Gabby, I got under my um, biggest quilt and refused to move for oh, the duration. Wow. Wonderful. I wish I could have done that, but as I say, I've got. Well, like, we've just moved house. I've got no television, oh, no. <laughs> internet. Um, so I was watching it on my tiny phone, like <laughs> hanging out the window, trying to get the reception oh, to God. watch it. I just, I oh, love the music. Nice. Yeah. yeah, there were a lot of really good shots, especially when they hit Windsor. Of the, is it called the Long Walk, where like um, everybody was marching perfectly. And like the entire like column of soldiers was swaying at the same time in the same direction. And it was just, it was very pleasing to watch. Yes, through that kind of archway. Yeah. Well, Izzy, I, I don't know um, how many times you've listened to VFM, but we always start by asking people to tell us about their journey. Okay. So I got married to my husband in Harry in 2012 and shortly after um, I was really keen to start a family and as I'm sure I don't even need to say in your company you think it's just the easiest thing in the world and Mm -hmm. all your thought is how not to get pregnant and so you think when you will get pregnant all will be well. Um, I had no indication that there might have been a problem before um and so but initially after we got married Harry was like what's the rush I was like well we've been together quite a long time I'd quite like to have family I'm a little bit older than Harry anyway about six months in he said okay um and so weirdly I went away with Harry um on a retreat and it was the first month that um we were I suppose actively trying Mm-hmm. And um, when we got back, I was due my period, and my period didn't come, which was like the first time in well, for, I mean ages. And so we just assumed, you know, you know, hey, hey, presto, like one, <laughs> good to go. Um, but actually, it and and I was I was in the bathroom, and I 
you know, peed on those lovely sticks. Yeah. And um, Harry had the camera ready. We'd literally just thought, oh, it's given. And uh, it was negative. And then the Googling, I think that was probably when I became such good friends with Google. Um, <laughs> or enemies, yeah. one or the other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, um, and I just, uh, I, I was just went into this absolute panic um, after one month, which just looking back is just, I, but I think it was because I had such little knowledge about it. Nobody was talking about it. There was no um, education about it, nothing. So I, I just, I just really panicked and, and I didn't have my period. So um this went into actually um, months of no no cycle. Just my period just didn't come back and didn't come back. So we couldn't even try, which had a whole new other level of um, kind of frustration. Ended up going um, to see a doctor and feel very fortunate that I was able to do that so quickly, um, privately. And uh, basically we um, discovered that I had polycystic ovaries. Um, and from there I went on, on Clomid and, uh, I, I, I don't know if either of you have, have experienced that, but I, I found it quite a difficult, um, medication to be on. Um, and I, I felt very depressed very quickly, like looking back, um, and my mood changed and I felt very very bloated and uncomfortable none of my clothes were fitting um skin got really bad um I wasn't responding to the medication and uh yeah so every time I I, I went for a a scan to see if it was working it wasn't working so they upped my dose anyway um basically six months on that nothing I I think I I basically reached a breaking point and came downstairs at this point at least I was supposed I was having regular cycles so I was able to we were able to actually try um and so I um came downstairs after goodness knows how many kind of negative tests and sort of broke down with Harry in fact it wasn't even like it was more it wasn't even a break it was more just I felt completely numb completely numb emotion of like just didn't know which way to turn and he sort of held on to me and was like look you know worst case scenario me and you Um, and it was a moment of I have sort of stopped looking at you through this whole process because all I've been focusing on is is baby and there's someone else in this and I'd really lost sight of of that Um, and so I decided I'd have a complete six-month detox Um, when I say detox I mean of Obviously, it's very difficult to say, right, we're not trying anymore. Of course not. But I shifted my focus, I suppose. Um, I knew that IVF was probably going to be the next route. Um, And we, so we, I suppose in a way I thought, well, I'll use this opportunity to get myself in the right space, kind of physically and mentally the best headspace I could get into um, before we started IVF and um, went for my first round, um, miscarried the first. Um, 
at like seven weeks, but it it felt so much more than that. Yeah, and, gosh, it doesn't. Um, you know, people always say oh, it's early, and you're like, well, that doesn't mean anything when you're losing it. You know, it's it's no. really hard. Yeah, really. Yeah, I mean, I will never, um, I'll, I'll never forget that sensation, um, and I, I suppose it sort of takes away that ability to enjoy any subsequent pregnancies. Um, you know, and, and if anybody is listening to this, there was something that I used to do, which I found really uh, kind of helpful, was that I just used to put, if this is your thing, but I used to put one hand on my heart and one hand on my belly where, you know, baby would be. So say this was yeah. when I was pregnant afterwards. And I would just say you know, all is calm, all is well, you are safe. And I would just repeat it over and over again and breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, just just to get myself through that feeling. So, you know, because I realise when you listen to podcasts and everything can feel quite triggering and mm-hmm. can't it, and you, and you sort of, you know how fragile the topic is and the conversation is. Um, so hopefully that's sort of a com- comforting thing, which, which I found a comfort anyway. Um, but then we did we did go on um, to full, with a frozen embryo transfer was my my daughter Lola um, and here yeah here we are and then following that um, just about a year later I fell pregnant with my son which naturally which was a complete shock really to be honest I was like is this a joke and I also found out on New Year's Day <laughs> I couldn't write it you couldn't write. How did you um how did you cope with that fight like that shock because obviously you know at this point you'd also come out about your story publicly mm. how how did that kind of sit with you was it just i mean did it take a while i i felt very conscious of it because there are so many sentences that you hear which everybody listening is familiar with you know just relax go on she had IVF and then she fell pregnant naturally and I thought oh no I've fallen into the fallen into that category or that sentence and I was quite worried about sharing because I I think I I well not only had I just written Dare to Dream and was you know sharing my story um I didn't know how to really approach it and how to do it sensitively and without it feeling like I was one of those lucky ones. Yeah. Actually, when I did talk about it, I felt an amazing sense of hope. I think people felt it gave them hope. And and that, you know, and it was like with writing Dare to Dream, you know, I was quite the night before publication, I was sort of saying to Harry, oh my goodness, you know, have I done the right thing? And what will people think? And, you know, naturally you, you have your, I'm a human being. So it's, you know, put my kind of myself out there. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, but I said to him, look, if it helps one person, I'll feel I've done my bit. And I suppose in the same way, sharing that news, it's like, if it's giving someone hope, then that's enough for me. I'm always kind of surprised by how kind people are about successes about like that because I'm just mm. so bitter <laughs> usually yeah. yeah but other people are really kind yeah I think I mean I remember um when I 
miscarried from our first round of IVF, my sister-in-law and my brother fell pregnant mm-hmm. and um sorry fell pregnant as if you just fall you know yeah, yeah. Tripped. <laughs> yeah. I just tripped um and uh my brother called my whip called Harry and I thought that's really strange he normally calls me first you know and if he can't get hold of me he might call Harry and Harry just said look I'm sorry you're gonna have to speak to Izzy and handed the phone over to me and Magnus told me that he had he and his wife were expecting, and um, I, I at that moment I was the anger, like the complete, like, but it, but it was more the anger that I had just been told I was going to be an auntie and I couldn't be happy, and it was the feeling that everything was stripping those moments from me, from the fact that I was, you know, it was my first niece or nephew, and. And how sad that I was in that state that I that I couldn't feel happy, and I found it really really difficult to um, to sort of talk about it or be at family things or it it was just really painful. And then she went on; they went on to lose the baby. Weeks, um, oh. it is awful. And so from that moment on, I sort of made a promise to myself that if I saw somebody that was pregnant or opened a magazine and saw an announcement or whatever it was that I would always say to myself you don't know the full story Izzy you don't know their full story yeah and kind of wish that pregnancy healthiness and happiness and however you know obviously there were days when that, that was incredibly difficult but I tried to hold on to that as almost a way of I don't know for that first niece or nephew that might have been sort of for them mm-hmm that's really sweet I think and I think you're absolutely right. That is the thing to try and remember. And I think, you know, us mm. of all people, we should know that. But often it's so easy to forget because you just see pregnant women as other, you know, mm. they're like different to you. And you kind of, it's hard to, to think, gosh, they might all be, you know, suffering the same things as me. But yeah, it's a nice thing. I nice and I still, when I walk where I live is just, you know, buggy central. <laughs> and, um, I still, when I see somebody pregnant, get that pang. It's really strange. Like even though I've gone on to have children, I, I still get that moment of, was it easy? I don't, I can't, I, I don't know if that makes any sense at yeah. all. But, but even even now, uh, even when you go on um, to to have a family, it just it's always with you. It's always sitting with you somewhere. Um, mm, absolutely. And, and, the guilt of finding things difficult as a mother or um, not finding every second enjoyable or not it not being as you imagined it to be, all those things sit really heavy and almost make things, you know, I think even more of a challenge to sort of navigate. Yeah, massively. Like, and it's, it's always there. It just doesn't go. Mm. It makes mm. it, it's really hard. Um, Izzy, I feel like, you know, you were, you were one of the first people with any who was kind of well known to really share their story of this um what made you decide to do that so gosh that kind of gave me kind of chills thinking about that um because it it really was like when I was going through it nobody was talking about it Mm -hmm. nobody like and there wasn't really social media there wasn't any platform I could turn to. No. I felt ashamed and I just assumed that IVF clinic were for 40-year-olds and 
you know, it was just this sort of whole um, complete world that felt completely isolating. And I'd lived it for however long. And all the books I'd read were medical. There was nobody speaking to me um, other than a very distant family friend who had been through it, who very kindly spoke to me and gave me some brilliant advice. But other than that, nothing. And so because Harry and I had um, our wedding published in Hello, when I was pregnant, when I found out I was pregnant, they asked if I wanted to do a pregnancy announcement. And I just basically said, I can't do this without fully explaining what we've been through. I just said it just would feel so wrong having been that person that's picked up that magazine and seen another happy couple, you know. Um, and so Harry totally supported, um, I suppose, when we made that decision together and because obviously he's just as much part of it. Um, and to talk about the miscarriage and to talk about the fact that we had had IVF and that it had been a struggle. Um, and then it was just unbelievable the response back from that even from people I knew who suddenly were picking up the phone and um, messages I was getting it was just it was unbelievable how common it was and yet I had felt Mm. totally alone I mean we see so many women in the public eye sharing their stories now like I remember Jessie J coming out and talking about it and I was like what Um, but yeah there was no one or it would get like a cursory mention. Like it wouldn't get much. It would be like so-and-so did IVF. And then your natural assumption is, oh, if she did IVF, then she got a baby. Yes. Like no one talked about it not working. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's um, Well, I mean, fast forward and you've kind of broken the silence on something else as well. Um, I'm probably going to absolutely butcher this phrase, but... Um, you've suffered from hypothalamic amenorrhea. Is that how we're saying Amenorrhea. Hypothalamic amenorrhea. I knew I was going to yeah. be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's, Can yeah, you it's, yeah. talk, talk to us about that? So, so this, so of all the things I have spoken openly about, this was by far the hardest thing to talk about. Um But basically, hypothalamic amenorrhea is um, over-exercising, under-eating, and stress, and adrenaline and and all those sorts of things mixed in. And I, after I had Kit, um, I lost a lot of weight, naturally. Um, I think having been on hormones before my pregnancy with Lola and then going through two pregnancies quite quickly I think something shifted within my metabolic system and um I I just lost quite a dramatic amount of weight and you know inevitably wow you look amazing you've had two kids um and having spent a lot of time feeling really quite miserable about my body, not just from appearance, but actually more so an internal failure, an internal feeling of not working properly. Um, for the first time, I felt good about myself. And it became a control. It became, you know, I, I've spoken openly about anxiety and um, I've lived with with anxiety since I was very little 
And so food sort of became, food and exercise became my next way, I suppose, of controlling my anxiety. And so um, I also had two children under two. I was, there was a lot of stress going on um, with work in terms of, I was trying to work and obviously with the two little ones, um, both in nappies and full on. Um, and so I was basically adrenaline, adrenaline, anxious, exercising, not really eating, and I had no periods, periods. So I was completely dormant um, after kit. I had no periods for a good three years. Um, so I went to the doctor, and I never, I never put two and two together. So I never thought that. I didn't think, because I... I Although I wasn't eating enough, I was eating really well. So from sort of an outsider's perspective, you would just think it was just really healthy lifestyle. She's mm-hmm. she's eating. <laughs> but actually, it was a very, very unhealthy lifestyle. Um, and but, but when I went to see a GP and a doctor, you know, my BMI was normal. Looking at me, there wouldn't have been anything to suggest I looked underweight. Um but there clearly was, you know, I, there clearly was a problem because I, I wasn't having any periods. So I went on um, sort of synthetic hormones that, because basically my body went into menopause. Um, so my estrogen was really low um, and all the side effects that come with that. Um, I had a bone scan and I was osteopenic, um, which is basically this stage before osteoporosis where your bones are really weak because you haven't got enough estrogen. That was completely because of hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, and But still, nothing was picked up about the hypothalamic amenorrhea, which isn't very recognized here, but it is in the States a lot more as an actual sort of condition. And... I went for a walk. Uh, well, I'd taken the kids to um, nursery this one morning and random. I'm, I'm a real creature of habit. and But that morning I was like, I'm going to go to another coffee shop. Oh. So I went to this other coffee shop. I know. <laughs> I went to a different coffee shop. And um, this girl came up to me and was like, I just wanted to say um, thank you so much for your, your podcast. Um, uh, you know, it really helped. We've had um, similar experiences, uh, you know, and we got chatting and she basically told me about hypothalamic amenorrhea and all these like alarm bells were going off in my head. I was like, that sounds like me. And obviously, yeah, it was, it was really like, oh my God, what? Like, I, it was a really kind of surreal moment. I talked to her and she said, go and buy the book, No Period, Now What?, and I went straight to my bookshop, I bought it, read it, and was literally just reading it out loud to Harry, just saying, Harry, listen, listen to this, listen to this. And it was, it really was, and it was scary because I didn't want to put on weight and I didn't want to stop exercising and I didn't want to admit that I had a problem. Um it was by it was by far sort of my biggest personal challenge from being somebody that feels quite open like i i can talk about things 
it, it was something which I found deeply embarrassing and um, I was really frightened to talk about it. Um, but anyway, I from that moment, I followed the recovery process in that book and um, I started to eat a lot more. I just said to Harry, you sort dinner now. You sort the food. Just put it in front of me. Stopped exercising. I literally just stopped completely. Wow. And and I think that also fed into when you're diagnosed with polycystic ovaries, I shouldn't eat this, you shouldn't eat that. You're probably yeah, there's a lot of dietary stuff. There's it? a lot of dietary stuff. And actually mm-hmm. I think that fed into it all as well. Um and I was very fortunate a month later, literally to the day, I had my period. Wow. The first time in three years. Yeah. It's amazing, amazing how sensitive the body is, isn't it? Yeah. And and actually, if I look back to the time when I was trying to conceive Lola, yes, okay, I wasn't in the same state of, of perhaps food and exercise, but I was certainly anxious and I certainly had a lot of adrenaline pumping around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wonder whether all along there's been something there which um, I just never knew about because I didn't have any of the other symptoms of polycystic ovaries. I didn't have long cycles. I didn't have excess hair. I didn't find it difficult to lose weight. It was, I just think, I just think that personally, I mean, I'm obviously no, no doctor, but just from my own sort of experience of going into this more was that I just don't think my body thought it was safe to have a baby because for so long I've been in fight or flight mode. And I just think I just wasn't, yeah, I, I just don't think my body felt safe. Crazy. Mm. And, and were you, was was kind of part of this spurred on by the fact that you kind of knew you wanted to try for a third? Was that on your mind at this point? Yes, that and ironically health, because, you know, if you don't have a period, it's, yeah, yeah there's, that. I was 37 or whatever, it's, you know, it's not right. And also, just I felt really weird not having a cycle I didn't really have any of those highs or lows in the month you know I didn't I I I felt dormant in many ways um so there was that aspect and also Harry and I were talking about another baby and we were also talking about because I have one frozen embryo left um from my round with Lola um sitting at the clinic which I'm sure many people um there's that dilemma um Mm -hmm. but when I spoke to my wonderful um my wonderful clinic who have been just so supportive um their advice was to try naturally because the thing was because I had got my cycles back naturally to then undergo a medicated cycle um Mm -hmm. obviously as we know then might might have disrupted what was actually going on because I hadn't even tried naturally but because I had this real pull to this embryo um because I was like you know that could have been Lola that I'd never met and I had a big kind of emotional torment about it um whereas Harry was a lot more black and white um it took me a little bit of time to sort of come to that conclusion and also it had been Covid times and I felt actually the clinics were very stretched and there were people more in need at that particular moment. Mm. Um, 
to take up those appointments than me. Um, so I think all those sorts of things kind of factored in um, to that decision. It's hard, isn't it? Because it, 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 we've been talking about this a lot lately. Is that kind of the embryos that we have are kind of they're always there. They're kind of spectres in our lives. The other, you know, kind of people that don't do IVF don't have this kind of dilemma. This kind of constantly thinking yeah. about them and wondering what you're going to do about them. It's um, it's an interesting one that that we're kind of unique about in as a community. Yeah, and I I went back to see where they are. I don't I don't know if you ever seen. Oh, yes. the tanks the tanks and um they took me to my embryo and I was like just put it put it back just put it back you know like in me as it were I was just like oh my goodness this is really you know and it was just Judd and the number and the ice kind of came out and you know mm. it was a real moment of um gosh you know and I I I struggle with that but I I think I will naturally get to a point where I will feel at peace to kind of make a decision. At what I certainly don't feel there yet. Yeah, we we spoke to someone last week about it, and she said um, that a counsellor had said to her, "You need to be a hundred percent about this." Yeah, and she was like, "There's no way I could ever be a hundred percent." No, but so, she also said, "Don't rush it." <laughs> Yeah, that's the advice yeah. that I've taken on board. Don't rush it. It's cool. Yeah. Just keep paying for a bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> Just pay the money. Um, kind of back to the hypothalamic amenorrhea. Um, do you feel like it's talked about enough? Do, do you feel like it needs to be talked about more? Like, is it quite common or surprisingly common? Yeah, I mean, I wonder with your listeners whether anybody's there going, you know, with any alarm bells going on for them. Um, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I definitely think it needs to be talked about more. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, yes, we've sort of touched on lifestyle, haven't we, with fertility, but it's almost feeding what hypothalamic amenorrhea wants. So when I was diagnosed with polycystic ovaries and actually talks about it in the book, No Period, Now What, um, about how actually all the things you do that you think you're doing to treat polycystic ovaries is actually exasperating the problem of hypothalamic amenorrhea so for me for example I was cutting out dairy I was cutting out wheat I was cut you know cutting all things out I was um exercising regularly and obviously there needs to of course going into fertility treatment making yourself sort of in that in your physical from the physical aspect I think it's more to do with mentally how you feel and obviously when we eat well and exercise well we do feel better of course but there is a balance and you know if you're in that state where it's like I'm not having that cake or I'm not having that chocolate I'm not having any of those moments of joy then that's going to in time you know sort of affect so and and I think the anxiety and one of the things that I found very difficult and Harry used to be so get so kind of really felt for me in those situations was when people would say you know Izzy's just you know she just needs to not get stressed and <laughs> relax and take a holiday but my natural default as a person is to worry you know yeah. it's been my way since forever mm-hmm. so for somebody to sort of say that is like 
trying to alter my personality completely. Um, um, <laughs> That's not who I am. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but so, yeah, I do. I do think that um, that should absolutely be investigated more and taken more seriously. Um, people's lifestyles. Um, yeah. When there are fertility issues, for sure. Well, Izzy, we're not gonna we're not gonna keep you too much longer. But I think I think we'd be interested to know your advice. I think on both on like both levels, just fertility in general, what your advice to people is, and then and yeah, if you if they think that they're listening to this now and getting those alarm bells, as you say, what's the advice there as well? Yeah, I mean, when I looked into hypothalamic amenorrhea, um, it was actually quite difficult to find. Um, specialist to help me with that um so to be honest with you the book was like my my saving um mm-hmm. it was where I got a lot of advice and as we all know you'll try anything and if you yeah. think that you know perhaps you are living this sort of extreme fitness or or food or stress or anxiety it might be worth just picking it up and um it's by Nicola Rinaldi um and it's it's worth a read um uh and then in terms of fertility so obviously like Lola is nearly seven so uh, many years have kind of passed for me but what I I think what I wish I knew then and maybe it's easy for me to say it now, but was the lessons that I was learning through the process, I think I needed to learn. Yeah. Uh, I think there were, yeah, I, I a lot of the things that were incredibly challenging in going through fertility, like um, patience, um not being in control, not knowing what was going to be the end result, what was going to happen, learning to let go, um, just realising that not every day is a bed of roses. Yeah. All those things, now being a mum, have every single one of them is what, you, what is, you're challenged with. So it's not like you kind of get your the ending that you want and desire it it still carries on that mm. feeling and mm. it doesn't just all go away and i think sometimes um i felt like that was the issue and actually there were other things that i needed to address and learn about myself that's um, really interesting that that having the struggles gave me the time to do um, yeah, it's, it's funny how our struggles in life teach us things yes yeah, yeah definitely and um I know obviously it's easy when I'm talking in hindsight but I do think that that's something I I wish at the time I'd sort of allowed more space for yeah. um, actually spending the time addressing the things that might be blocking or might you know might be sort of challenging me mm-hmm. Izzy it's been so nice talking to you thank you so much for coming on and sharing this with us thank you so much thank you for having me 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now, regular listeners might remember that right at the beginning of this series, I was diagnosed with endometriosis, which is yes. great, great for me. Good times. Yeah, good times have I all. Um, and because of that, I really, and I, because I was about to go into a round of IVF, I was a little bit worried about my um, chances of um, implantation. So I asked you to ask Professor Tim <laughs> what how exactly it would impact um well my round of IVF yes I mean it's an incredibly self-serving question but also I think one for the masses because endometriosis is very common more common than we realize probably is, and um is. this is a very good question Emma so had it been so self-serving that it wasn't a good question for other people I would have vetoed you would but you? because this <laughs> yes I'd have been like no Emma Think of the listeners. If you are a very tall person whose name is Emma and who is blonde and who lives in Whitstable, what would <laughs> that kind of thing? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so it's a good one. So, yeah, have a listen, guys. Here, here's what he has to say. So, about twenty percent of women have endometriosis. It's where some of the lining of the uterus has gone back through the fallopian tubes and implants around the pelvis. Um, so, it's a very, it's very common. Some women have no symptoms or no problems with endo. Some women will have uh, pelvic pain, either during menstruation or intercourse or passing urine or opening their bowels. And some women will have fertility issues. There are four main stages of endometriosis. So stage one, two, three, four. So stage one is minimal when there's just really a few dots of endometriosis. And stage four is severe when sometimes it can look like there's the glue has been used and the pelvic organs are all stuck together. Now, when there's severe endometriosis, so stage three and stage four, it's really not surprising that natural fertility can be affected because it can be difficult for the tubes 
tubes might be stuck down, they might be blocked, they might not be able to pick up eggs from the ovaries for natural conception. When it's more at the uh, stage one and stage two, and there's just a few dots of endo around the place, it's a bit more difficult to know why would that be affecting fertility. But studies have shown that if you have a laparoscopy operation and the, and the spots of endometriosis are burnt or, or cut away, then the chance of natural conception afterwards does increase by about a third. So it's not a magic treatment, but it does inc improve fertility for more sort of lesser amounts of endometriosis. Now the question is about implantation. So the question is, if you have endo and you have IVF, so obviously we're taking the eggs from the ovaries, we're putting the eggs and sperm together in the, um, in the laboratory to make embryos, and then we're putting an embryo back into the uterus. The question is, do those women have a lower chance of implantation because they have, because they have endometriosis compared to women who don't have endometriosis? Now, it might be difficult to think, well, why would they have a lower implantation? Because by definition, endometriosis is womb lining outside of the uterine cavity. So really, there should be nothing wrong inside the uterine cavity because that's not endometriosis. But some studies have suggested that women with endometriosis who are having IVF, surprisingly, may have a lower chance of implantation. The difficulty in is, the difficulty is knowing whether that is down to the uterus, or because women with endo, they might have ovarian damage, they might have fewer eggs collected from their ovaries, and therefore less of a choice of embryos, and therefore maybe poorer quality embryos going back, and therefore a lower implantation rate than a woman who had more eggs collected and a better choice. Overall, when we look at data, for instance, from the HFEA site, when there are hundreds of thousands of IVF cycles, and you look to see do women with endo have a lower IVF success rate than women without endo? We don't see a difference, or if, or if there is a difference, it's very, very small. So for my patients with endo, I'm, I'm very encouraging, really, and saying, well, if, you're, you know, if your ovarian reserve is okay and we think we're going to get a decent number of eggs, I personally wouldn't worry about the fact that you have endometriosis. It's not really going to make much of, much of a difference um, for you at all. slightly stressed about all of the uh, economic news um, to the point where I'm kind of wondering whether I just delete Twitter off my phone and stop reading the news. I kind of think that might be a good way for me to maintain some mental health. <laughs> is it making you anxious? It's making me anxious, yeah. It's making me angry, actually, more than anxious, yeah. I think. And that's also not good for me, really. Well, I don't I don't want to cross promote my work, but um, I've just written an article where I got to <laughs> I interviewed a lot of city workers who earn a lot of money mm. who want to be paying more tax. OK, um, and they're they're all really cross as well. OK, that's good. Maybe I'll go and, and feeling that. bad. They're feeling quite bad as well. Like they're feeling worried for the future of the United Kingdom. Yeah. I mean, if only they were the ones that were in charge of the country rather than the people who are who are currently um <laughs> fucking yeah. up the rest of us anyway um aside from that aside from feeling quite angry and a bit scared um i um i mean what's my news really to wrap up the series i'm still changing my mind every day as to whether or not i want to have another baby and it's driving me a bit mad and yesterday 
as I was walking into Waitrose on my way to go and buy some milk, I um, I was just like, why don't I just get rid of the embryos? And then wow. and then I don't have to think about this anymore. Yeah. Because um, I'm so on the fence and, and leaning towards not. Would it be better for me now at this stage to just push the trigger, pull the trigger? Oh, that's really not a very nice metaphor, is it? No, but I know what you mean. And and it's funny because I did, I guess, my decision was the opposite of that, which yeah. was I'm so tired of having this conversation that yeah. I'm just going to go ahead with another round. Yeah. That was actually what Mr. Gabby suggested. He was like, well, why don't we just throw one back in and see what happens? I'm like, because that's, you know, huge commitment. That's a huge commitment, <laughs> expensive and a bit of a decision. <laughs> Um, so yeah Yeah. I just I really wish that I could have gotten to the end of this series and had more clarity on what I was going to do but as it stands the daily flip-flop is continuing and I just don't know which way it's going to go well I just the great thing about having embryos and I guess one of the few um privileges that IVF affords some people is Mm. that in, in many ways, the ticking clock has been removed for you. Those embryos yes. are frozen in time. So you have three chances at pregnancy. And as long as you are still menstruating, mm-hmm. you could still have a baby. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like your egg, your the quality of those embryos is not reducing. Whereas if you were trying for a baby naturally, the quality of your eggs would be reducing all the time. And yes. the quality of Mr. Gabby's sperm. Yes, this is true. Yeah, um, it is true. And it's, you know, I am having quite a few conversations with friends as well recently who are kind of also trying for a second and who aren't in the same position as me because they don't have, they haven't been through IVF. In one way, they're very lucky. In other ways, I realise In the main way. In the main way, the most important (laughs) way, they're quite lucky. Um, But I, yeah, I am aware that I'm kind of not facing the same ticking time you know that's that other people are which is which is good it is good it means I can, can, can continue to flip-flop but oh it's just it's exhausting isn't it like I literally change my mind every day yeah it is really exhausting and it's literally why I did why I went into my second round because I was like I can't take it anymore mm, decision made maybe what I'll do is my next yeah. my next line in the sand will be yeah. um just you know, when you have yours, I might just yeah. see how I feel about that. Oh, mate. Well, you know how I feel about babies generally. Mm, yeah, I feel, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm, I don't know. This is it. Anyway, I'm going to shut up now because it's not very interesting or, you know, or particularly helpful. Oh, the other thing is, um, if yeah. anyone is uh, watching or not watching Bad Sisters, um, mm. there is an infertility storyline in that that I was like oh yeah okay and it was yeah. it was quite it is quite because it's very much sub plot it's not the main plot at all well yeah it's almost not a plot at all and that's why I quite like it because yeah exactly and it's she, qu- she can't have kids done yeah right and it's quite nicely handled I think in the moments where it, the, it gets close to emotive about it it's quite yeah. realistic but yeah, um, absolutely I like so the, I don't think I'm giving away it anything when I say the main character is a prick 
and he is in fact known as the prick. Yeah. And he says very prickish things about it. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. And really. it just does make you yeah. see. <laughs> Anyone watching it must be like, oh, hate him even more. You don't need to go on <laughs> continuing to layer up the hatred. Exactly. He's done enough now. Um, yeah. But it's very good if anyone wants to watch it. And it's not like, I don't think it's too triggering in a kind of sad way. I think it's just another kind of nice, it's also Sharon Horgan who can do mm. absolutely no wrong in my eyes. Um, so yeah, it's... <laughs> It's a good one. Oh, I can't bear it now. It's too much. It's getting Which? too much for me. Bad, Bad sisters is getting too much. Okay. Yeah, right. it's like because in the last one we thought an outcome had been achieved that had not been achieved. Yeah. And I just like, I literally when I thought the outcome had been achieved, I went to bed feeling so much more relaxed. Yeah. And now I feel less relaxed. <laughs> Well, uh, feel free, folks, to uh, to tune in and, and feel the same level of anxiety around this program as we are. Anyway, enough about me, my lack of decision and my television choices. Um, how are you, Emma? I'm all right. I'm just kind of plodding on, really. I don't really have an, an awful lot to share with you um, other than, yeah, be, been doing an awful lot of work recently. And that is why this podcast is a day late. Yes. Um, for which we apologise, but mainly I apologise. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's getting to a point where the, the embryo conversation is going to be had in my house as well. And it's interesting because I got a message from a friend this morning, um, who was saying that she'd been listening to the last episode and, um, she said, she told me that her clinic had sent her a letter recently, having tried to like contact her, not that hard that said, you're impossible to contact if you don't pay for your embryos now, we will destroy them. <gasps> Which is basically the opposite of every single thing that I've heard about this stuff. Like I've phoned my clinic before because every year I have to chase up my embryos and chase up the bill. Okay. Um, and every time I phone them, they say, um, oh yeah, we would never destroy them. We'd, you know, we'd really check with you. We'd have to, you know, have a have a big conversation with you and blah 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 we'd, we'd send you loads of letters mm. and then obviously um when we were talking to natalie last week she said she had to fill in loads of forms mm. and millie also the embryologist was t- talking about how sensitively they they handle these situations absolutely so it's it, it's a bit of a surprise really that um her clinic sent her that letter but she said she um immediately phoned the finance team because it was signed off the finance team she immediately phoned them and was like what the fuck and they were like um oh yeah this is like a letter that um it's a new letter that we started sending out and the finance team was really like 50 50 about whether or not we should send it she was like maybe don't send it then yeah basically half of them are cunts yeah half of them are not yeah (laughs) my god i just i was absolutely like um, quite just quite surprised by that to be honest mm, no that's no good that's really yeah. not very good at all so if yeah. anyone's listening no <laughs> to that kind of thing no. please guys yeah. um yeah it's 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 a tricky one i just keep yeah. playing the vape keep playing keep playing <laughs> yeah and i think that's what i will do and do you again pay yours in, a, in a yearly sum an yeah. annual cost yeah. do you yeah why what do you do direct debit mate once a month once a month? How much are you paying a month? 26 quid. Wow, I'm 300 quid a year. Does that mean I'm paying less? Mm, don't know. No. My maths isn't good enough. 
Um, oh, that's funny. I've not heard of that before. I thought it was just annual. Yeah. No, no, no. Which makes twenty six quid's kind of like meh. It's like um, you know. yeah, a subscription. Yeah, exactly. That you haven't got rid of yet. Exactly. It's like not. It's not significant enough for it to be an issue for me. I had a big clear out subscriptions recently. Actually. Oh, that's a good idea. Is that because of the cost of living crisis? Yeah, got rid of gusto. <gasps> gusto. My no eating has become much worse since then. This is like an I'm anti. An anti-advert, <laughs> got rid yeah. of Gusto, oh. got rid of HelloFresh. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it is an. It, it's not an anti-Gusto advert. Gusto is great. It's just marginally too expensive for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. As soon as the latest series of Game of Thrones finishes, I'm going to cut Now TV Ooh, out of my now life. Now TV, I that's think. a yeah. big, strong one. But they have the best dramas. Do they though? Yeah, I don't know. There's Disney. so many at the moment. I'm like, I only ever go to to it for game of thrones so do you but what about yeah. that um that one that we watched that was like a um it was like downton abbey but in the u.s oh uh, yeah what's it called what the, gilded, the gilded age yeah and what about bad sisters actually isn't that on now or is that on apple, no, it's apple tv mate uh, i cut yeah. apple actually but oh i think apple tv is the strong one for me well it's good but i might then my mum just shared her subscription with me We've got a bit of a family thing going on, so I share my Disney and Now subscriptions with my mum, and she gives me Apple. Mm, well, there you go, guys. That's yeah. another cost-saving tip for this winter. Yeah. <laughs> share your subscriptions sharing. with your family. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, enough of this fascinating, fascinating talk. That's I know, what a way to end the series. <laughs> <laughs> guys we're around we're always around as you know yeah so um do hit us up on any of our platforms if you'd like to speak to us uh, we're not going away yeah um, and we will be back with i'm sure news of further projects at some point yes we will big thanks to all our guests this season see oh. why do i keep saying season this series it's i really think it's been a vintage one it has it has been vintage um and uh yeah so yeah big thanks to everyone big thanks to professor tim as always for all of his ongoing guidance yeah and just big love to all of you i hope um, everything goes okay huge love to all of our listeners we adore you and um and we will speak soon we sure will see you later fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com flexibility is great that's why there's yoga flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too that's why there's united healthcare insurance plans Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 